And Alice Ernie as well. How great I was singing about prayer. Which actually, uh, that closing uh, line, how long has it been since you knew that he cared for you? Last week we talked about, literally, how we would open a prayer that Jesus Christ taught his disciples upon their asking. When we just say those two words, we talked a long time, some of you thought a really long time last week. But our Father, literally is, every time you say our Father, you know that he cares for you. Because that's what fathers do. Well, let's take our Bibles this afternoon and let's uh, turn to the same uh, chapter we were in last week. Um, Luke chapter 11. We'll read those first four verses once again. Luke chapter 11, beginning... At verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive every one that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And once again, may God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word. And let us just pause for prayer before we begin our study together. Father God, we're thankful that You are, you are our Father. All of those that have trusted Christ as their Savior. All of those that have trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ, literally, Father, we have been placed into the family. We have been adopted as sons of you. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Father, how can we even, we, we can't even comprehend fully what's been done to us and for us because of what Jesus did on the cross. For that reason, Father, we can say our Father. Help us today, Father, to see you more clearly than ever. May we give you the adequate respect and honor and all that you deserve as you are sacred, you are holy. You are beyond even what we can understand in those very words that we say. Father, you are above all. And Father, it's to you that we ask these moments before us as we give you everything that we are that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us. And more than anything, Father, we ask again that we would see you even more clearly than we have ever seen you. Thank you for the word. Thank you have, as, you've, as you've given it to us that as we go to it, Father, may the Holy Spirit exclusively be our teacher. Taking those words, those sacred, holy words from the scriptures, to instill within us everything that you want us to be. Father, now for these that have come out, we ask that you would bless them and their families. May our minds and hearts be wrapped around you as our wills are melted into yours. Thank you for what you'll do in advance. Bless us, Father, because of what Christ has done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we've got a lot of things on the board from last week. There were four things that we left you with. And it was a long session. It seemed to fit together, I hope. All right, it seemed to fit together for me. There's, but those four, oh, actually we did. We did get them down here. Um, when we literally are opening in the sense of our prayers with our Father, and we talked about a lot of the 
there was, it was just a, a plethora of things that really are ours because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And to literally think that that God, and, I, and again, it's a little bit different today. Today we're going to try to balance that a little bit. Last week is our Father. You see our Father, His grace, His grace and His giving and His all of the resources that literally are ours because He is our Father. They're not. Now, by the way, He's not everyone's Father. I think we were quick to say that last week. And it's very, very important. God is not everyone's Father. You can only have Him as your Father when you accept Christ as your Savior. That's how you're placed into the family. Apart from that, you are outside of the family. In fact, we're even... We didn't talk about it last week in Ephesians. We were at enmity. We were enemies with God because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. We fell into sin. We were separated from God. But to think that we, I, I just think of this, and, and, and God is, no one has ever seen God. Now, Moses was as close as anyone, probably, on the mount. I don't know what that would have like, but even his, his very countenance, his, he, he illuminated, if you will. I mean, can you imagine coming down and the people are scared of him? That's as close as probably anyone has ever seen. Our being to see God. But just think of this for a moment. Uh, the angels, the seraphim, the cherubim, the archangels, and all of that surrounding the throne of God and the majesty, the supremacy, everything that makes him who he is. Are you, are you there? I mean, I can't even make it rich enough. I can't make it high enough. I can't make it big enough. That image that is in your mind as big as it, take a times a million and then exponentially another million times that. That is the God that we can't even comprehend. That's the God that literally allows us to come to him and call him our father 24-7. Why aren't we praying all the time? Right? Now, we, we did. There's, there's a, we're going to add to this uh, on the, on the, on the left-hand side of the, bull, of the board to your right. Um, we will be adding to those each week. Uh, our Father is the source. Uh, when we go to the Father, He is our source. Today we're going to look at hallowed be thy name. But I'd just like to review for just a moment. Uh, when you are able to declare God as your Father, these four things literally can take place. What a place to start. I mean, we come to God, or we come to prayer. Uh, one of the things I'm going to ask or, or say is this. Oftentimes prayer, there's so many people that are so concerned about how does prayer work? There's a much more important question. What is the purpose of prayer? There's a huge, huge difference. And it really allows us to even pinpoint of how we come to God. These four things, that is the fact that fear is gone. When we can call God our Father, there is no place for fear. There is no place for fear. If God, the, I've just tried to paint this massive, majestic picture of who God is, the glory and all of the awesomeness that He is, where is there a place for fear if He is our Father? We need to remind ourselves of that. Secondarily, the fact that we really have hope, and hope will grow as you continue to, to just camp on that aspect. Uh, the other thing, which I, I tell you what, I, I don't know that I've seen. It's amazing. These two things in our world today, the sense of the height of fear and loneliness. What's happened to us in the last couple of years, just worldwide, in the separation and all of this, this, this division and all of this, those two things are at an all-time high, I believe, in the world. Loneliness and fear. Both of those evaporate when we literally can call God our Father. And last, uh, as you think about that, when you're addressing the Almighty God, resources are truly limitless. There's nothing that is outside of possibilities. I, I still, one of the, uh, the most, 
I would have to say one of the most miraculous things that we find in the scriptures is when Mary, this young teenage girl, was approached by an angel and was told that she would be pregnant with the Son of God. And she, you know, I, I don't even know, how, how could that young girl even take that, right? And, and then for her to say, well, how can that be possible? <laughs> it makes no sense to her. And that angel responded, with God, nothing is impossible. Those resources, when we can have, when you, when you can literally, legitimately call God your Father, our Father, there's nothing outside of the realm of possibilities. Today, again, I'm, I, there's a sense of, of balance. So there's, there's that, as, as you see our Father and all the things we talked about. On the other side of that is the sense of His holiness. Uh, I'm going to put the word up here right away, and that is, we have Him as the source Hallowed be thy name is the sacred part of prayer. It's making him everything that he deserves to be. Hallowed be thy name. As I said just a moment ago, there's a, a lot, most people are focusing on how prayer works. In other words, it's almost like God is a genie in a bottle. And, and when he comes out, it's for us. God is for us. And, and, and oftentimes, and this is the other thing, well, we're not under the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. We shouldn't even be studying. Oh, no, no, no. A thousand million times, no. I don't know what a thousand millions are, but that's not high enough. Because literally this, if you don't really see God for everything that he is in his supremacy, his ultimate awesomeness, then you'll never see him for who he is in the sense of what he respects. Everything that makes him who he is. Because if we just look at the grace, and that's the give me, the take that we are coming to him, we'll never see the proper picture of God. The balance we have is, yes, he is our father. Yes, he in mercy and grace gives us what we need. But he is so amazingly holy. He is so righteous, so sacred. I don't even have the proper words to describe him. And that has to be balanced. That that respect of his holiness. Without that, That's why we come with this almost an overzealous, give me what I think I need. I don't even want to come to prayer when I give God that ultimate platform of everything that he is, everything that you could possibly imagine, I mean, greatness. When we approach that, aren't you just like me? God, you know a lot more than I do. I'm ready to receive what you think and what you know. I'm sorry, not think. What you know is best for me. That's what I want. See, that's why Jesus could say, whatever you ask in Jesus' name, it will be. That's why is because we get the proper relationship and picture of who God literally is. When we picture him and we address him and respect him that way, we can do nothing but, again, I I don't know where, this this just, it was several, maybe a month ago now. There's something that just resonates with my, when we go to prayer, our will melts into his will. And what a perfect place for us to be. Hallowed be thy name. Now, those are words, if, if you say the Lord's Prayer, and in Matthew chapter 6, is, it's a little bit more complete, if you will. Um, as, but Jesus was, that was on the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about that last week. Maybe just review for a second in that regard. There's those two places, Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 6. They seem very, very similar. In fact, similar enough that most people, well, maybe I'll say some people, believe it's the same instance. It is not. 
The Sermon on the Mount was his inaugural address. He spoke of how to pray without anyone asking him. There's no question there of how to teach us to pray. This one is initiated by one of the disciples saying to Jesus after he had finished praying. That must have been something, right? And they, what, can you imagine listening to Jesus Christ pray? Whoa, right? And they said, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. And a lot of these points, these eight that we have on the border, is literally how Old Testament uh, praying was. That had all gone away. The Pharisees, the Sadducees had literally just adulterated it, made it nothing more than superficial verbiage. It, it meant nothing. And we talked a lot about it. We won't get into all of that. But hallowed be thy name. If you say the Lord's Prayer, nothing wrong, by the way, in reciting it at all. But it's so low in the sense of what Jesus was really trying to teach. It's not about reciting the model prayer. It's taking the model prayer and making your prayers fitting that framework. That's what he wanted. And to think, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When's the last time you took hallowed be thy name and just really thought about that? That's what we want to do today. That's what we want to do today. He's not only our Father, but hallowed be thy name. When, uh, as people, it's almost like there's an assumption that pray, that uh, prayer is a focus to to cash in, to get stuff, a way to get what we need or want. Now, that is not at all what prayer is about. Prayer is mainly or primarily for God to display His glory through meeting our needs. Because when we're addressing God, oh, and it's interesting. Go through the Old Testament, or the New Testament, for that matter. You know, people prayed, guess what? Things happened. I love it. The one, one of my favorites is, is sometimes we're the same way. You know, we, we have our prayer requests and we, and, we, and we talk about it and we pray about it. And it's like we don't even really expect it to happen. I'll give you a case in point. Remember when, when Peter was locked up in prison? And they pray. God, get Peter out of prison. God gets Peter out of prison. Almost immediately. It's almost like they prayed and God released him. And then he's knocking on the door. <laughs> right? He's, he's literally knocking on the door. And there's a, a woman, a young lady, that, you know, I'm sure they had things tightened up. Because who knows if they were coming to get them next to put them in prison. Right? Think, think of that. See? I mean, there's that whole underlying thing. And this... It's Peter. What's he doing here? <laughs> wasn't, wasn't that Rhoda? Wasn't that her name? Yeah. Little Rhoda goes to the, what? He can't possibly, he's in jail. And they just prayed. See, sometimes it's like that, isn't it? And he keeps knocking and they finally let him in, right? And you go through the, you look at uh, Jacob prayed. Remember when, when Esau and Jacob, they were meeting in a very tenuous moment. Their lives had separated and they were coming back together. Jacob prayed to God that night and he meant business. And you know what? God answered that prayer. Moses, how many times did he pray for the people? God answered those prayers. I, I just, and it's just it, countless times of where God answers prayers. He answers prayers today. And I know several of you women through the week get together and pray. God answers those prayers. And they may not be exactly the way you're even know that you would, how, would I, how should I say this? The way you would even want it to happen or to understand. But you know what? When we pray, especially in a company, in a unison, there's a sense that it sets all of our hearts in motion to wanting what God wants. That's what prayer's purpose is, is to get us all around surrounding in the sense of unity. We want what God wants. That's the cool part. Because when that happens, that's truly a miracle that happens within us. Sometimes we need miracles. 
there's, there's several miracles that I can even think of this week that would be really cool if they happened. But you know what's a greater miracle is the fact that when God works in us, he does the miracle in us so that we trust God more than we've ever trusted him. That's a miracle. I, I think of Abram. Again, uh, I love studying his life because he starts 900 miles away from where God wants him to be. And he is not really ready for a lot of things. I'm going to be honest. He, he, in fact, his father was an idol worshiper. He was. I mean, it's, why did God pick? I don't know, but he did. He knew his heart. But if God would have asked Abram to sacrifice his son uh, Isaac when he was probably just an infant, Abram wouldn't have been ready for that. But each step that God took him through the journey, the trust gained and grew, and God, every single one of those moments, Abram became more trusting, more believing in God. That's what our life journey is about is allowing ourselves to receive what makes God's gifts and God's glory to be on, put on display, that actually literally turns around and makes our trust higher. That's what prayer is about. And ultimately, you know, for um, um, Genesis chapter 22, isn't it? Genesis 22, where Abram sacrificed. I think it's 22. That is an amazing thing. And, and you, just, you just bring somebody into that. And they're almost aghast by someone that would be willing to raise his knife to slay his son. But God was more important and he could trust God's word more than anything else in the world. Even the life of his son of which he was in custody of because he was about to take his life. He knew that God by his own words, by his own hand, by everything that he said, all of his reputation was built on. I will make you a great nation and your people will be as the sands of the sea and it will come through Isaac. He believed God. That's what prayer does. That's literally what prayer does. Isn't that, isn't it amazing? It's amazing. So let's talk again a little bit more about hallowed be thy name. Let's go to John 14, 13. John 14, 13. Again, looking at the focus of prayer. John 14, 13. It speaks to this, and we've, we've talked about it, and now let's, let's just kind of look at Jesus' words. Um, uh, verse 12. We'll start in verse 12 and then look at verse 13 and 14. John 14, 12. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you. Now, pay attention. I want, this is really true stuff. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's what it's about, for God to be glorified in meeting your needs. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And again, that all fits together when we are, are passionate about accomplishing God's will, being submissive to his glory. And think about that. I, I think that's, a, that's just a few words, but are you submitted or in submission to his glory? That's the key to being in the proper relationship with God, being submitted to his glory. You want him to be glorified first and foremost. That worship, then it becomes, prayer becomes worship. When we're willing to be submissive to his glory, prayer literally is a pure form of worship. Self is left behind. He is a before all. He's in front of all. His agenda is all that matters to me. That's literally at the end. His agenda is all that matters. Teaching us to pray. 
We've talked about the tenderhearted and the compassionate, the loving Father. That's the fundamental basis. Now balancing that. Hallowed be thy name. Is it just the name God? Is that what, in other words, we just, we just take that name and we just, we're focused on that? It's more than that. Uh, think, of, think with me for a moment. Um, if, if someone would take your name, take you, if you will, and would tell lies about you, would paint you, would taint you in a different light than what you really are. And that person or persons of which they would say that to, when they see or know about you, their thought process based upon what that person said is very, very different now, isn't it? That would be what we would call defamation of character. It's not just the name Billy or Bob or Joe or whatever. That name is everything that's inclusive of who you are. Character, attributes, personality, because it's the whole picture. It's not just the name. It's literally everything that surrounds and makes up that name. I'll show you an example. Let's go to uh, Exodus. Might be jumping ahead a little bit. That's okay. I, and I think as, we're, as you're turning there to Exodus, I won't even give you the chapter yet, but as you're turning to Exodus, think again the superficiality that the uh, religious leaders had turned this into. Now, there was no question the Jewish, um, in the Old Testament, the, the Jewish uh, priests, uh, the rabbis, the, the name God. Now I'm, now, now, I'm talking, now let's separate. What I just told you is it's bigger than just the name. But I want to, the, the, the incredible amount of respect they paid for just the name was amazing. You know, if I write, uh, let's see, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some of this stuff off here. How did they address God? What was a word that they used to address God in the Old Testament? Somebody say something? There was a lot of different names. In fact, the excuse me? Jehovah. Jehovah. Okay, now, let's work off of that for a moment. There's actually four Hebrew letters that are put together that literally is a word they never even would say out loud. It was so sacred. It was so holy. It was so amazingly over the top. And that would be... Whoops, I did that wrong. Y-H-W-H. Now, that would be in English, obviously. Yahweh. But they wouldn't say it because they didn't feel that a human could literally even say that out with, without causing disrespect. Okay? Now, that's respect. But literally, again, the superficiality is amazing. That was just the name. They treated God like dirt. Look at Malachi. And you can go through those Old Testament prophets. Look at your, I was. I've been listening. Uh, I found a site that actually, um, they go through the Bible in a year. And they go through an Old Testament, a New Testament, a Psalm, and then a Proverb. That, that, I, that is on my phone, right? So if I'm busy, and I'm, which never happens, but once in a while I'm busy, and, and, I can, and, that, and I, that can play to me. It takes like 20 minutes, and it's every single day, and in a year you went through the whole deal. I've been listening for about a week or 10 days. I just haven't come across it. And, and they've been going through Jeremiah, a couple of chapters a day. And it is totally remarkable how similar those people, the Israelites, are to literally our nation today. I could change the names. You know, they want to know what God wants them to do because we'll do that. But they had no intention of doing anything other than what they wanted to do. 
<laughs> and that's literally what's happened is they turned to God that took them out of the land of Egypt, that allowed them to be everything they became, and they just literally turned their backs on him. It, it, and it's a, you know, and I've read Jeremiah a number of times, but there's just something this time that's really resonating to me. It's really kind of cool to watch how they maligned a true prophet of God. They treated him like, I mean, it was worse than anything. One day he wants to go out and just go look at a property he bought, and they, they arrest him and throw him in the bottom of a, a slimy pit, literally. Wow, way to go, right? But that's how they treated God. Yahweh. They wouldn't even say that word, but you know what? They meant nothing to who God really was. Who he really was. It's just like religion today. It's very superficial. They may have God in their mouth, but there's not in their heart. That's why John the Baptist came, was to prepare people to repent. Where does repentance start? In the heart. That's what needed to happen for Jesus Christ to literally allow to become Savior. That's what, that's what America needs today, is repentance. It needs to know they're lost. And that hardness, that resistance, you see it in almost, you know, if you read any forums or you read responses to an article or whatever it might be, there's just this hardness to so many people against God, right? We need repentance. We need a melting of that. That's something we should be praying about in churches is that the Holy Spirit would soften those hearts. Allow God to literally have his way with them. Let's go to, uh, I told you to go to Exodus. Let's go to chapter 34. And let's set this situation up. I think we'll actually start in verse 1. But I want you to see that it's a lot more than just a name. Uh, Exodus chapter 34. We'll start in verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew the two tablets of stone like unto the first. What, what's going on here? Excuse me? He's about to go up in the mountain. And what, why is what well, he says like the first? What, what happened to the first ones? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when he, and when he came down, when he came off the mountain the first time, it was Mount Moriah, wasn't it? I think it's Mount. Which one? I, anyway, a mountain. Let's just do that. Sinai. There we go. Okay, so he comes off the mountain, and God had told him, he says, I, you, you got to go down. Those people are so wicked. They're just, oh, I want to just cast. And I don't think Moses had a clue. You know, just, no, just, hey, loosen up, relax a little bit. And he comes down and he sees what's going down in the camp. He gets so mad, he takes these two tablets that God literally wrote on him, the Ten Commandments. And he was so angry, just threw them down. Well, this is take two. Okay. So he says to Moses, he says, hew, the same, hew these two tablets. Verse 2. And be ready in the morning and come up in the morning. Under, there it is, Mount Sinai. And present thyself there to me in the top of the, mount, of the mount. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks or herds feed before that mount. He hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning, went up into Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand the two tables of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, unto the third and to the fourth generation. Did you see how God even described himself? It wasn't just Lord or God. It was an entire picture of, pers- of personality, attributes, everything that made that name who he was. 
That's literally what we're talking about. If you want to hallow the name, it's not just not saying it's so precious. Don't say, don't, you can't even say Yahweh. No, it's literally respecting everything that God is. Everything that he is. That's a picture of what God literally did with Moses. He allowed him to see even more than just his name. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 9. Psalm chapter 9 and verse 10. Exactly right. That's exactly right. Again, just describing, displaying for us what's in the name. Psalm chapter 9, verse 10. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek him. You see, they that know thy name, not just his name God, but everything that he is. You see, the more you read the Bible, the more that you understand more about God, guess what happens? You see more and more what God is like. When you first get saved, you, are, you, are a, you have a decision to make, and I am a sinner. I can't fix it. Jesus Christ paid, the sin, paid for that sin. When I was still sinning, he paid for that sin. When you accept that, then what happens is there's a love. There's something about a yearning for knowing more about him, looking at the scriptures. And the more you learn, guess what? His name becomes more profound and more glorious and more awesome in everything that makes God who he is. Not just his name, because that's what the Pharisees were doing. It's deeper than that. To think that those that would understand him, those that would trust him, they know his name. Verse, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. As a, as a non-Christian, if, if, if you're challenged, if, God, if you are God who you say you are, how does God answer? I mean, is that it says here that He will, He won't, He won't forsake those 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 that that prayer that trust in Him. Yeah. <clears throat> One of the I mean, I've seen people, people have a question, well, I challenge them, well, pray that, if you're wondering if there's a God, pray to God to show me if you are real or not. Is that what he's talking about here? I, I, no, I, would, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, in other words, I'm not sure where you're going exactly, but the, one of the things that's really hard for, for us as even Christians sometimes, but particularly non-Christians, when, when they have maybe... St- opened up and prayed about something again there's really only one god there's there's a prayer that god is waiting to hear and that is i'm a sinner i can't fix it that's because the holy spirit has worked in that heart okay the uh, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of god okay and and the first prayer that god hears is i need jesus There's a lot of different ways, but I'm telling you what, if that person is honest and they're seeking God because they are lost and they can't, and and there's a sense of conviction of sin. I remember when I was, I can't remember, five or six years old. And I've told you this story, but but it fits again here in the fact I was on a swing set in the yard in North Dakota. That sounds weird already, right? But anyway, but, but for whatever, however my mom got it there, God used that moment and I was convicted of my sin. I was a six year old, but I felt I felt convicted of my sin, my sin. Okay, and I <laughs> took off and ran away. That's what you usually do, right? And I went upstairs in the. In the I, w- I was in the upstairs base, uh, upstairs, um, upstairs basement, in the upstairs floor, and that's where my bedroom was. And I remember jumping in bed, pulling the covers over my head, like, "What's that going to do?" But I was alone with God. And I said, "God, I can't fix this." Just in that quietness of a little six-year-old, I knew that I needed. Somebody else. I knew I needed Jesus. 
And as simple as that was, that was the day that I was saved. That's when God hears you is when you start there. That's when you become, or you can say, our father. Before that, there really isn't a relationship where he's your father. Now, what he does with you, that's out of my hands. That's in his hands. That's why we trust a non-Christian to the father. Okay. Now, in regards, Paul, where you're talking about, when you have made that decision, when you've trusted Christ as Savior, and you can address him as my father or our father, as Moses could have done, or David, uh, or anyone that was in, in this particular case in the Psalms, the righteous are never forsaken, or those that trust in God using that verse. One of the problems we as Christians have, or particularly non-Christians, is we see a situation as an end all. We've got this huge problem right in front of us. It might even be death, quite honestly. I, you know, to, to pray for a sickness to end because that's what we need. My God's bigger than that. He may want to take me home. He may want to use this to glorify himself by looking and seeing what else can revolve around this that others would come to Christ because of this. The point of the matter is, is oftentimes we make the picture too small God does not ever forsake those that are his. Those that trust in God are safe, ultimately. May not just be here. You may, who knows, you may, because you know what? We're all going to die. That's a guarantee. When it happens, I don't know. Now, there's been healings. There's been situations that God has literally taken someone out of the throes, out of the throngs, out of the, out of the, the grip of death to glorify himself. Again, do not forget anything. If you forget anything else, don't forget this. Prayer is for glorifying God. He will use it to magnify himself. And ultimately, it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that he would all, that all would come to repentance. And he will use different situations that may seem... Out of touch. Out of, I, I'll just look at my life in the last several years. There's been some stuff and say, oh, wow, right? But has he forsaken me? No, he can't do that because he's promised. It's just like Abraham when he's ready to do anything with Isaac because he said God will raise him from the dead if he needs to because I trust what he said to me. Scripture is full of it. I trust God because he said I could. I trust God because Jesus Christ, he said, would raise from the dead. That's a big one. If Jesus would still be in the grave, I would not be here with you today. I couldn't trust God because he said that. He has to perform, and he did. Since he did, I'm not going to be forsaken. Do you see what I'm saying? Sometimes we make the picture too small. There's been a lot of, lot of people because they're a parent, a loved one, a wife, whatever, would have died of cancer, and they prayed that God would spare that person. There's a lot of people that have turned their back on God. And again, that's between them and God. That is, that is way too small a picture of what God's up to. If he was finite, if it was just about this life, I'm with you. But that's not the God that we know. See, when you start to see his sovereignness, his awesomeness, his over-the-top holiness, everything that makes him who he is, when you take all of that in perspective, it's not just about these 70 to 80 years of life on this earth. Because if that's all it's about... I'm going to check out. He promised eternal life that starts the moment that you trust Christ as Savior. Your eternal life starts that second. And that's literally, that verse is completely valid and full to someone that has trusted God. I was just wondering if, it's a, if that's a good response to tell a person who, is, who doesn't know the Lord is a Savior, 
that a good response to God? If you are a God who you say you are, Paul Larry says he is, or Rhonda says he is, show me that you are the Savior. You know, you're talking about someone that is lo- is seeking Christ, seeking God, right? Or, and, and so they're st- challenging if there's a God or not. Yeah, I, I pers- personally, I, I, I think, and I may I may be wrong. I, mean, I think in everybody's heart, it's a little bit different. If that person is really willing to literally trust God with that, and they're, they're stepping out. Is that, can I trust you? God knows that heart. But if I've got a scientist, and I don't know why I call him a scientist, but somebody that's standing in the front of the room, you strike me dead. Oh, yeah, yeah. If there's really a God, strike me dead. Oh, I guess he didn't do it. See, that's, that's nonsense. God's bigger than that. He's not going to be, see again, that's almost like extortion. That person thinking he's really going to, to, to make God do anything he wants him to do or not do. God's not going to be held hostage like that. It's not going to happen. But if that person that you're speaking of is looking and seeking for God, the scripture says, if you seek God with your whole heart, he will be found. But if you're just saying it, do you see where I'm, there's a, there's a callousness to it. It's almost like, well, once again, I win. I prove God doesn't respond. So there is no God. And the world is full of that kind of a mentality that that's, that's, there's no place there. There's none, none at all. You come to God with a, with a repentant heart. There's no repentance. There's no God at the end of that trail. It's all about you. I don't know, I'm, are we doing okay or yeah, not really? Because yeah. there's, a, there's a con, really important considerations, but I, I think some of it is very individualistic. It's about the heart again. See, God is always, that's why John the Baptist came. He set up people so that Jesus' words, it was all about focusing on that Sermon on the Mount. You talk about right to the heart, right? I mean, he talked about stuff, whoa, that's not superficial. He talked about, and it's the same thing. If it's just a matter of callousness or superficiality and trying to make God fit in your little box, he's not going to be there. That's not going to happen. Not going to happen. He's not going to form tricks like at a circus so that you, oh, well, now I believe it. You know what? It didn't work that way. In fact, um, how did Jesus say? Remember the, the, uh, the rich man and Lazarus? And, and the rich man wanted to go back and tell his, brother, tell his, you know, his brothers that they wouldn't end up in the same place. No, you've got the, he had the prophets. There's plenty of truth out there. We, and we in the United States have more truth than we could possibly have. And you can't find it today. Have you noticed? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness, right? But there's no lack of truth. You turn to the Word of God and it's just as truthful as it is today as it was, or today as it was you know, 2,000 years ago. Okay, we got off on a rabbit trail. How'd we do? Was it okay? Yeah. Any other questions? Any other rabbit trails? I like rabbit trails, actually. <laughs> Oh, uh, where were we at? <laughs> oh, that's scary. That's scary. Um, yeah, we were. What's, what psalm we're in? Let's go to. Uh, oh, okay. For, for here's here's a good one. Psalm seven seventeen. Seven seventeen. Just thinking about how to get ourselves in worship. Hallowed be thy name. Verse 17 of chapter 7, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. That's like we should be praising him massively and we'll sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. Again, not just his name, but everything that makes God who he is. Turn to Psalm chapter 20, verse 7. Psalm chapter 20, verse 7. (laughs) Psalm 20, verse 7. Psalm of David. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, 
But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And again, not just the name. I'm picking these verses out that it's not just God. It's the whole package. Everything that we got is attributes and his personality, his nature, his character, his authority, his will. All of that makes his name even more robust. You know, I've just, I just, just hit me now as I was thinking about this. Think about how many psalms, and I don't know how many were attributed to David. But what if David hadn't been chased around the country by his father-in-law? What if everything went smoothly? I think there's a lot of psalms that wouldn't be there. Right? You see how God really speaks from the heart? You know, how many of those psalms really glorified God? And you know how, how God was glorified? Through David's troubles. Through his trials. That's the disconnect for us. And myself included. I got some stuff going on in my life right now. I really do need a miracle, I think. But the miracle is, is I just need to trust God more. That's the miracle that he wants. Because when I'm trusting him more, then that means he can trust me with more. Okay? And you know what? I'll bet every one of you probably have your own little miracle you need. But think of the Psalms that David wrote how helpful they've been to you and have been to me. This is one that's really captured me. I, I just happened to think of it. I shared it with, uh, with uh, uh, one of the, our congregants uh, recently, this week, in fact, as they poured out their heart challenges that were in their life. Let's go to Psalm 50. It has nothing to do literally with our text or what we're up to today, but turn to Psalm chapter 55 and verse 22. I was just reading a psalm one night, middle of the night. I was actually reading it out of the... Uh, what is the, not the message, um, living Bible? no, there's living. a, what, what's it? No. Yeah. What, what, what did you say? Passion? Nope. Anyway, it, it, it's, it's kind of a, and it, and it just boom right in the head, right? So let's read it out of the King James Psalm chapter 55, verse 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. <laughs> there it is. Just, just a little nugget that's right inside of there and give your burden to the Lord. And he will take care of you. That's how that, how that version related to me. And I needed it right then. Yeah, see, see they're, they're, those nuggets, those little, those little spots are there for what? When we need them. You know when they were written? Look at Philippians. It was written by Paul who was in prison. David wrote, well, let's see, who, who wrote Psalm 55? I don't even know if I... Yeah, David. David. In fact, uh, let's see if that... Just a second... Yeah, he was, he was actually, there was treachery of an intimate friend that had walked away from him. I mean, you, see, all of those times, how many times have people been helped because of the situation that you found yourself in that wasn't just a glorious moment, shall we say? God uses those moments to literally help, to heal, and traject trust into other people. It's amazing. It truly is. Now, it's a lot easier to talk about here today on Sunday. Have you noticed that? Maybe in the middle of the night or a Monday morning or a Tuesday morning or a Thursday morning or you get that motor blew up in the car and you don't have any money or whatever it might be and there's something else went cave. And it always comes unexpected, right? Well, those moments are fun, right? What did we just say? Cast your burden or give your burden to the Lord and he will take care of you. Isn't that cool? It's good stuff. Do we trust him or don't we trust him? There's times we don't. Why? Because we forget he's our father. See, that's what Satan never wants you to do, is to think that he is your father. Where were we at? Psalm chapter 20? We got way off track there. Let's go to uh, John chapter 17. Don't you love it when we get off track? 
And what do we do anyway? <laughs> John, John 17, let's look at verse 6. John 17, 6. This was, what, this was really what Jesus did on earth. John 17, 6. I have manifested, verse 6, chapter 17. I have manifested thy name unto the men, which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. That word manifested, I have manifested. I have shown thy name. Again, what would you say of Jesus Christ? He literally was God in physical flesh. He looks and tastes and smells and acts just like God because he is. And he's manifested to all men. How beautiful that verse is. It describes it. A name is more than just a name. It is the total of the whole person. You think of the, pro, uh, the prophets in the Old Testament. They came in the name of the Lord. You, you remember, even Jeremiah was thinking of him right now. He came in the name of the Lord. Not just in the sense that he came with the name behind him, but everything that God was. Think about how we describe the name God. What are some words that you would use in describing God? English words. Oh, God. Sovereign. Sovereign. Okay, we could say that. Yep. Savior. Excuse me? Savior. Savior. Okay. Holy. Okay, let me let me let me let me pull your I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to tighten the search a little bit. I want you to describe just God. Now, the, what you're doing is perfect because what you're doing is you're giving attributes. You're giving personality. You're actually seeing what's behind the name, which is that's what we want to do. We want to hallow that. We want to holy all of those things that make God. But now I want to I want to I want to woe you up. I want to shorten it. I want to say tell me who God is in English. Just just God. Who is God using the English language? Um, so, sort of. That's okay. I'll go with that. Master or teacher? Master? He's everything. Yeah. So, so, you guys are answering perfectly. I've just given you the wrong question. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm asking the wrong question. Because you guys, so what you guys are doing is perfect. Because you're expanding upon everything that that name... If I just say God... Lord, Father, that's about covers the names of God in the English language. Okay? But, and I'm just saying a name for God. We call him Father, Lord, God. Okay? Now, again, English words. Now, what you've done is you've added adjectives to them. You've made him more robust. You've shown what's behind that. But think of it. Those are literally, those English words capture what, just name God. Not what he is, not his attributes, just what is Lord. God, Father. Can you think of another one? That would be an attribute. Jesus Christ. Okay, that, and that, that truly would be God the Son. Yep, Jesus Christ. That would be the third one. That would be God the... Do you, do, you see how, do you see how short this is? See, now in the Hebrew language, it wasn't like that. See, they had a lot more ways to describe God in late, and actually naming him that. One of them I actually have right here, and that is Jehovah. Jehovah. Let's take, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you through some other ones. Now, let's come back. Someone said creator, okay? What is the Hebrew word that was used in, in Genesis chapter 1? And this is in a plural form, as creator. It's Elohim. See, we don't have an Elohim. 
The closest we can get is creator, but Elohim was literally a name for God. I mean, that described God. And it's, an, it's interesting. It's in a plural form. The triune God. I mean, that's hard for someone to describe that says there is no trinity. Why is it plural? Why did it say, let us make man in our own image? You see, it's amazing how all of those intricacies tie together and make our God richer, fuller, and who he really is. How about some even those that are tied to Jehovah? Yeah, Jehovah Jireh. What does that what does that mean? That's okay. But it's a great one. Who who said Jehovah Jireh? Who did he say it to? It was perfect. It's it's one of the best Yes, he did. Here's Isaac wanting up and I've said it a million times, I never get tired of it because it's something I need to learn myself. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how desperate it looks, I can say Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. And he says to young Isaac, who's packing the firewood, Hey, Dad, got a question. We're rolling up the mountain. This is a three-day journey, by the way. The other really cool part was his, his young son was willing to go with his father to worship on a three-day journey to worship God. This wasn't the first time they'd done this. See? I really like that. And he said, Dad, where's the fire? I've got the fire. you got the fire. i got the wood. I think I'm getting cheated a little bit. I'm, I'm really worried down <laughs> with this stuff. But he said, where's the sacrifice? Isn't that, isn't that exactly it? Jehovah Jireh. And that was good enough for Isaac. You know why? Because he had watched his dad trust God. And that's how sons learn to trust God as they watch their dads. That's what another thing I keep saying is. But I'm, I'm, we look at the problems of America. And the fact is there are so many families today that are fatherless. Most of the time what happens is a lot of those young men, particularly young men without a father, with no role model, with no one to teach them, they end up in prison. It's an amazingly large percentage of young men that end up in prison with no father. And we as Christians, dads, granddads, just Christian males, we need to step out. And when, when that young boy, that whatever, even an older, you know, there's no end to mentoring. God will bring that person in your life. That's a reason for that. They need to feel, they need to see that fatherly influence. Isaac, coming back to him, he'd watched his dad in some pretty tough situations. And he trusted his dad when he raised that knife. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's pretty cool. That's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Did he? Perfectly, right? Let's see now. Okay, God doesn't want me to slay Isaac. So, well, look at this. There's a ram caught in a thicket over there. Isaac, why don't you go snag him? Let's go worship our God right now because God has really shown himself to be who he is right now this place. We want to make this a special moment. Do you think that moment was high in Abram's life? Do you think that moment was high in Isaac's life? You better believe it. I think also the fact, what was Abram's uh, servant's name that prayed? No, no, uh, no, that would be, the, that'd be his, uh, that, that was Sarah's, yep. Uh, what I want to get to is, is what was, yeah, Eliezer. He, he's going to, Abraham says, I want you to go back to the homeland and I want you to find a wife for Isaac because I don't want him marrying into these heathen girls here, right? I want, I want, I want one from back that, that, you know, this is where God wants us to go. So this guy goes back, Eliezer, and he prays, literally prays a prayer and God answers it. Poof. And here comes Rebecca. And Isaac was good enough. That's, what God, that's who God wants for me. You, and I'm not saying Isaac didn't have those moments. I mean, he had his favorite son, right? We're, we're all human. But I can't imagine what that must have done for that young man to watch how God provided 
in that situation for his dad and himself. Okay, Jehovah Jireh, I'm getting hung up on these. Another one would be uh, Jehovah Rapha. That would be Jehovah, our healer. We need Jehovah Rapha, don't we? <laughs> we need a lot of healing. And there's a lot of them. Uh, Jehovah Shalom, God, our peace. Jehovah Roy, our shepherd. You think of even John. Remember how Jesus Christ described himself, which would again be a picture of God. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the vine. I am the resurrection. Think of those. Those are all pictures of the name of God. The name of God. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom to order in and establish with judgment, with justice, from henceforth even forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Again, just looking at the magnanimous thing, not just the name, but everything that makes the name the name. Let's take a look at the word hallowed. A pretty good chance that you did not use that word this week. Did anyone? In the Lord's Prayer. That would be the, the, and that, to recite it, that's exactly right. It comes right there. And oftentimes we're a little bit negligent and, and literally like we're doing right now is, what does that really mean? Right? Hallow would be thy name. We've all said that word a lot of times, particularly as Jerry would have noted in the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to talk about that. It is. It's about holiness. The, the, uh, the Greek word for it is hegiadzo, which means to make or to... Uh, not to make. There, there are two ways to look at this word. And I want to be very careful because it's very distinctive. In one way, you, when you came to Christ, were made hallowed. One of the ways that that word can be used is to take something that isn't holy, but to take something that is holy and make the unholy holy. That's exactly what's happened to us in the blood of Jesus Christ. You have become holy. Now, another word for that. There's another part of that besides just holy, but to be separate, to be set aside. Tell me another word, particularly in the New Testament, that is described for us, particularly by Paul, that would be to set aside. Saint. 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 That word is, is pretty much the same idea of the sense of hallowing, to separate, to make different, to make holy. But that is not the case that we're talking about God because he already is. It's to declare holiness, not to make him holy, but to literally express his holiness. And everything that that, and we talk about the name, we kind of went in a little bit in reverse. It's not just the name Yahweh or God or whatever. It's everything that God is that we lift it up to an esteem of hallowedness or holiness or separateness or to be set aside-ness. You see how important that is? It's a really big deal. Hallowed be thy name. It's putting God in the right platform, the right position, if you will. 
you would treat him as holy or hold him as holy. That's even better, maybe better. Supremely separate. He's in a sphere all by himself. Let's go to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. I'm not even sure what verse, but we'll get there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is cool. This is really, really cool. This is really, this is really, really, this one hit me like a ton of bricks. Okay. So as you're, we're going to walk through this story and then we're going to read it. Numbers chapter 20. So this is a situation where Moses and the people are, and, they're, and they don't have any water. And they're whining. Did you notice that Israelites did a lot of whining? A lot of complaining. A lot of complaining. And anyway, you remember, this was a situation that cost Moses and Aaron, both of them, a trip into the promised land. Now, if I was going to ask you, why did Moses and Aaron not get into the promised land? You would say. Okay. So would we say that you guys actually did way better on that than I was hoping. I was going to, I was going to, I was going to take it a different way, but I've heard most, most people say they that he disobeyed God. In other words, let, now we're going to read it, and I want you to see that it's actually outside of disobedience. Now, disobedience is not, don't, 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 don't misread me. Disobedience is, is way heinous. It's, it's, it's the deal. But there's something even more important that I think was behind it that kept them from going into the promised land. Let's, start, let's read it together. So let's go to Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation of the desert of Zin in the first month, and the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. That would be Moses and Aaron's sister. There was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode, that's an interesting word, right? That's not a good word. With Moses spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. And why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. (sighs) (laughs) Right? Wine, 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 wine. And Mo, verse 6, And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces, and the glory of God appeared unto them. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak you unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. Okay, nothing wrong with the rod being there, right? Oh, he's got the, nothing wrong so far. Okay. I want to make sure everybody understood this. What is the rod going to do now in this, in this exhibition? Nothing, nothing. He just said to take it with him, period, right? Now, this had been the rod that Moses had done a lot of stuff with, right? This is the rod that he was throwing down and it turned into a snake and ate the other snakes of Pharaoh's court, right? This is the rod that had been used to do many, 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 many miracles. But in this case, God very clearly said, you will speak to the rock. Let's see what happens. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, you rebels. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? Who's we? 
Moses and Aaron, <laughs> right? They're personalizing this little deal, aren't they? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod, he smote the rock twice, and water came out abundantly. I'm wondering why he did it twice. That's exactly right. Now, that's what it went. Ding, 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 ding. God didn't say to strike it, but no. Whack! He does it again. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. Verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because you believed me not to, watch the word, sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Why did they not get to go into the land of Egypt? I'm sorry, in the land of the, the promised land? Because they failed to hallow God's name. That word sanctify there in the Septuagint is exactly the same word as is used to describe the sense of hallowing his name. It's the same picture. Now, how many times have we failed? This isn't a guilt trip. How many times have we failed to hallow God's name? Almost all the time, isn't it? We're wanting him to give us, and literally there needs to be that balance between, yes, he is our father, yes, he's merciful, yes, he's full of grace, but do we lift him up to where he's really worthy? It was not disobedience per se as much as it was for that for Moses and Aaron not to literally sanctify or to hallow God's name because as they would have spoke to that rock, God will give you water, you rebels. He could have used that word. But God is going to give you water out of this rock because he asked us to speak to it. And water would have come out. That's how you give God respect. Now, who, who got the glory in this case right now? Just, just, just take a step back now. That water that came out of the rock that, that watered the people and the, and, and the animals, the way this was stated, who got the glory? Moses did. Right? What's the purpose of prayer? Excuse me? He was. He was ticked off. Moses had a temper, didn't he? And I will say this. I want to be careful to say this because I want to, because he's, he's, he's just like us. He's a human. He's a human. I, I'm not trying to take him to the woodshed here, but this is literally why he failed to go into the promised land is because he failed to hallow God's name, to sanctify it, to make it holy. And Moses, he was ticked off. But the one thing I want to, want to say is, you know, Moses was always, in most cases, he was angry at the same things that made God angry. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So many Christians today are not angry at what God's angry at. They're angry at stuff that just makes them, their, their lives miserable or whatever. But to think of that, Moses, it wasn't the disobedience. It was the lack of hallowing his name. Just the way God said that. He said, you guys struck the rock, but it's because you failed to sanctify my name. Do you see? That's, that's a big, big deal. That's a big deal. Now, as we go on, um, even think of the, the balance. Uh, Yom Kippur. I, what time of year is that anyway? Is that coming up? Is that in December? It's past? Missed that one. It would be uh, Yom Kippur is the name given for it. It's for the Day of Atonement. One day out of the year where literally God would do his work to forgive the people of the nation. Okay? And the priest's job was to go in and act as an in-between between God. And because Jesus hadn't accomplished what was done. Okay? That's what's wrong with the, Jewish, with the Jews today, is they have failed to realize that Jesus accomplished this. 
Okay? But in the Old Testament, that priest would have went in and he would have went through different rites and ceremonies so that his heart was clean, so that he was prepared, and so that he could act as a liaison, as an in-between for the people that needed to be cleansed and atoned for, and between God the, in the Holy of Holies. Again, the picture of God in the, in the Old Testament and his, the hallow thy name, it's, it's there. It's imprinted in every facet of what the Old Testament's about. As you think about that, there were, in the Yom Kippur even, I don't know if it's necessarily, again, I'm not up on, their, on the recent stuff, but years back, there would have been 10 days of penitence that they would really be looking to repent. They would be asking for forgiveness. And there was like 44 times within these prayers that God would be addressed as our father, our king, our father, our king. Our Father, our King. Do you see that? That is truly the balance between using seeing Father as that intimate Abba Father, that Daddy, and King as being that supreme overall, to be respected at all times, right? Do you see that? That's the balance that really Jesus Christ, as he was teaching these disciples to pray, was, yes, he is your Father, but hallowed be his name. See, when we come to prayer that way, it sets us up. Yes, what a great way to start. That is our foundation because our source is our Father. We talked about that a lot last week. And hopefully change your, change your perspective of how you, when you approach the source, He is our Father, which resources are limitless. Loneliness, where could it go if you've got a Father like that? Your hope should just be growing by leaps and bounds knowing that He is our Father. And then fear should be gone. But the other part of this is, is now I want to make sure I get set up right. The first petition that Jesus Christ lays out for those as he's teaching his disciples to pray, the very first thing to ask for is, hallowed be thy name. Are we responding in prayer in our lives to hallow or to bring holiness to everything that God is? Because now that puts our picture, our mental focus, our hearts, it puts everything in the right perspective to approach him to be able to ask the right way. So that what? What is our purpose of prayer? I, if you will not leave this place until you get this right. Excuse me. To glorify God. Bring God glory by meeting our needs. That's exactly right. Glorifying God. Now the way we do that is to get the right picture of God. When we are hallowing His name, hallowing His attributes, hallowing His everything, God will be glorified. And even how we pray will glorify God. You see how cool this is? There's just a few verses, those four verses, and you go to Matthew chapter 6. This is a little bit more robust. This is going to be, now, by the way, this is going to take probably another four or five weeks because we're just taking a phrase at a time. No, not four or five weeks continuously. No, no, you guys can breathe. We're going to let you, we're going to, woo, look at that. There was sweat pouring off Larry back. He was like, wow, oh, I can't take Okay. But just think now we've went through just two basic little phrases. Our Father. Now, again, in the Matthew would say, Our Father, which art in heaven. And now, that's interesting, too. We state it. We, we make sure that this Father we're talking about even makes that more robust, that art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Wow. Are we starting to hang some things on this? Is this starting to make sense as we approach our prayer life? Man, it's good stuff. Good stuff. I would like to take us to one more verse. Um, actually, no, two more. Two more, two more, two more. 
Um, this one here is actually, you talk about Jesus Christ literally modeling this. Let's go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Let's look at verses 27. This is, this is literally hallowing his name. Um, I'm trying to think if I want to start there. Yeah, we'll just start in verse 27. Uh, John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Jesus is in his last few days before he would be betrayed. And he says this. Now is my soul troubled. Stop for a moment. Now is my soul troubled. What do we do? Don't need any further. What do we do when our soul is troubled? This isn't a trick question. Pray. What do we pray? What do we pray? Our soul is troubled. What do we pray about? The thing that's troubling our soul, right? We want that trouble to leave. You guys, okay, I'm going to just stand up. You think I'm going to do something weird. Okay. <laughs> okay, but, but isn't this true? Now, this, isn't this exactly most of the time what you find us in prayer is my soul is troubled. This is Jesus Christ's words. He's literally saying my soul is troubled. What's going to come next? I know it would come out of my mouth. Lord, relieve the trouble that's in my soul. Let's watch. Let's watch. Let's keep going. Verse 27. Father, save me from this hour. This, how you doing? Right? That sounds perfect. Sounds absolutely perfect. But I left out something before that. Did you see what I forgot? Let's go back and read the whole verse again. Now is my soul troubled, semicolon, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? That's what we would say, right? Yeah, you guys can, there's no tricks going on here. That's exactly, in fact, he's saying the same thing. My soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? <laughs> yes! That's what we would say. But watch what he says. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, read it. Glorify thy name. What would have happened to God's glory if he would have saved him out of that trouble? What would have happened to us today? This group of people right here today. We would be hopeless. We couldn't describe them as our father because we're not in the family. Did you see that? I love how, and Jesus said it perfectly. My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, for this cause I came, because the Father will be glorified in me. Isn't that fantastic? That is absolutely, those verses there, I'll tell you what, they are so incredibly rich when we talk about hallowing God's name. One more verse, and I promise. You don't believe me. Psalm chapter 16 Verse 8. I think this is one of the ways for us to literally hallow his name. It may not be exactly the right perspective, but for me it works. Uh, Psalm chapter 16, verse 8. I, this is another uh, Psalm of David, I have set the Lord always before me. Think of that. When we have God out in front of us, when he is before me, when I'm looking at him, when I'm focusing on him, Guess what? It's a lot easier to hallow his name. It's a lot easier for me to call him our father when he's out in front of me. Oftentimes we get so busy in our little circle and we take off at a high rate of speed and then we trip, we fall down, and then we're looking for where's God at, right? But if God is always in front of me, he will direct my paths. He will be in front of me to be able to hallow his name. He will be in front of me for me to be able to receive him as my father. 
I love that little, that little verse right there. Okay, questions or comments? We're wrapped up. Amazing, isn't it? Apparently not that amazing. Yeah, John the Baptist. That's right. Put my thoughts him. Yep. And, and when we have him out in front, and here's the other thing, really literally, behind this phrase we've worked on today, hallowed be thy name. You know where self just went when we're hallowing God's name? It's gone. Yeah, it's not even there. It's not even there. You want to get self out of, out of, the, out of the picture? Now, again, we're going to find, we're going to find, now, right now you're saying, well, where do we fit in? Why do we pray at all? Oh, it's coming. It's coming. But the first thing is we've got to get it set up right so we know who we're praying to, why we're praying, and then ultimately there's things that you'll see in, in, the, in this skeleton or this framework is literally he's our provider. He provides what, for what we need. But we must address it so that our self doesn't become a will that we're seeking as opposed to God's will. I, I love verse 27 and 28 of John chapter 12. That's, isn't that rich? I mean, my soul is troubled, and he knew it was coming. There's oftentimes I'm just glad I don't know it's coming. Can you imagine getting ready for something that's really bad? I would ruin my rest of my life, right? Getting, excuse me. And I didn't realize it said after that, 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 and, and, a, and a voice came from heaven. I have oh, that was cool, yeah. Glorified it and will glorify it. So saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And then, so the, and then so the people heard it. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had, that it thundered. Yeah. The people heard God speak. I mean, right. Yeah. And he, it's just the very fact that I think there was actually, when he said, I glorified my name, you know when it was glorified? It was right there when Jesus chose to do the right thing. God was glorified in that. When you choose to do the right thing, God is glorified. When was he glorified again? Each and every time that God is raised up. When Jesus Christ was hanging on that cross, when he said it is finished, who's got, who got the glory? God did. And we're the recipients today. I am just so glad we are, I am after the cross of Jesus Christ. I would not want to be before. I'm telling you, I just, I, I just, I don't think I'm that guy. And God, guess what? He knew that. He didn't bring me on the scene earlier. But you know what? You guys are here for just a time, just as this. I think we're living very much in the last days. I think there are things happening that probably are going at a rate. Well, there's nothing I'm telling you that's new. We are in a place now that there's men and women and boys and girls that are looking for answers. They don't even know they're looking for answers, but they know what's being given to them, what's being thrown out there. It's totally, completely, 100% wrong. I ran into a non-Christian guy in the nap store the other day. I'll just leave it at that. Has no interest in God whatsoever. He said something that I thought was remarkable. He said, Larry... You know, wait a minute. I don't care if they're Democrats. I don't care if they're Republicans. I don't care what they are. Anybody takes a look at that, then they just say this. This is wrong. <laughs> See, that's where we're at. And isn't it a great place to be able to tell, something about, tell people about Jesus Christ? Because he's right. <laughs> I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes out of the Father but by me. I, I thought it was remarkable. And, and again, I, I, you, you would know this. He's from the valley here, but he's someone who has absolutely no interest in God in any way, shape, or form. Never been able to have a conversation to any level. And I'm not saying, no, I don't want to run it down his throat. God will open his heart at just the right time. It may not be me, maybe somebody else. That, that's, that's fine. But for that kind of comment to come out of an older gentleman 
in the Ruby Valley that said, you know what? This is just plain wrong. Isn't that a great place to be for Jesus to be, to be illuminated? So we are in a place right now, folks, There's literally. A lot of opportunity to be oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. And our lives, literally, the opportunity for our lives to just shine forth, not because of us, because God gets glory when we fold into his will. Let him do the work. Let him do the work. Okay. The hundredth, yeah. Right. What a way to set it up, right? See, that adoration, that praise. And that's literally hallowing his name. And, and again, see, it, it's interesting that we don't, it, it's like our father. First of all, we're in the family. That's, that to me is so remarkable, refreshing. The loving, the adoration that he's affording us then part of that is, is for us to praise and adore and hallow his name. Man, it just sets us up beautifully. Yes? I'm thinking of arrow prayers. You know, yep. That was a little bullet prayer. Yeah. That's, that's right. That's okay. But, so, I guess I'm thinking that needs to, we need to have that in our hearts. Yet, I... Oh, absolutely, absolutely. In fact, I, maybe you guys mind if we just go to one more? I'll just, this would be one you could study on your, is it, is it okay? You yeah, you did tell me so. But it was sort of coaxed. I'm just going to, let, let's take a look. Let's take a, let's take a look at a man that actually offered up a couple of bullet prayers. Okay. Or arrow, whatever you want to say. Nehemiah chapter one. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter one. And let, let's take a look at this. And, and he's, but you can tell he's interested in what God is interested in. Okay. Nehemiah chapter 1. We'll just, uh, let's see. Let's see if we can spot him. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and he came to pass, chapter 1, verse 1, pass in the month Chislu in this 20th year as I was, I, that's Nehemiah, was in Shushan the palace. And Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. In other words, he's got a job. He's in the palace. This one, one of his brothers, brother Jews, has come in now, and he's, and he's asking him about them. They said unto me that remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. It came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, that point, uh, verse 4, is where he's taken time alone now. He has literally done the things we're talking about, making him, you know, basically together, the Israelites as, as a joint group, not just he himself. And all of these things of, the, well, I've erased them now. He would have gotten involved with that in fasting and praying. But let's keep going now. Because his heart is set up. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive, thine eyes open, and that mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have both sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. Sounds like Daniel's prayer almost. We have dealt very corruptly before thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Now watch. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if thee transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though they were of you cast out of the uttermost part of the heaven, yet I will gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. 
Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the cup's bearer. Now, that's how he set it up. That was the prayer time he had. Now, watch the bullet prayer. It came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now, I had not been before time sad in his presence. I don't have a lot of time to talk about that. If you're a cupbearer and you're sad, that's the way to go to lose your head. It's over. Wherefore, the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of the heart. Then I was very sore afraid. And I said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste? The gates are ever consumed with fire. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Did you see that? That's a bullet prayer. <laughs> he, he's sitting in front of the king, and he's sad. He should have lost his head. But then he prayed to God. That was a bullet prayer. He said, God, this is my time. What do I say? It was literal. I'm sure that's what it was. But what had set that up was the important part is he had prayed and fasted before. See, you see what I'm saying? Bullet prayers are very, very readily received by God when our heart is pictured and it's in the right position. See the difference? Now we, I, I read that so fast, but you guys can read that on your own, right? Okay, Alice, we're done. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for prayer. Thank you that you answered. In this case, we just look at Nehemiah's prayer. Another one where here's a man of God taking it to you, declaring who you are, hallowing your name, making you great and awesome. Father, we are here today. We bow humbly before yourself. There's so many things that we do incorrectly. We sin against you. Father, receive us. Restore us. Father, forgive us for the sins that we've committed. We think of our nation, and we are part of our nation, just as this man, serving as a cupbearer for Artaxerxes, he jointly received the fact that he was guilty. Father, we as a church are guilty before you. We have failed to do and to rise up and to pray adequately for our fellow church members, and I'm saying church members in this fact, those that have been saved by Christ. But also, Father, for us to stand firm for the things that you are against. Father, these days before us, we ask that your name would be glorified. That Jesus Christ be raised up. That there's men and women and children across this land that literally, Father, you will save. And that we would do our part to raise the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We can come to you in prayer. We've looked at just two aspects, two segments of this disciple's prayer. This disciple asking, how do we pray? And you said to say, Jesus Christ said to say, Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Father, help us to balance between our Father and an awesome, almighty, incredibly sovereign, mighty, mighty God that is worthy of our praise, our adoration, and to make, or to, to hold holy to sanctify, to set aside. Father, we just humbly bow. There's, there's so many things that we don't even know what to say in your presence. Thank you for receiving us. Thank you for re listening to us. Thank you for desiring to hear from us. Father, we need miracles. We need things we don't know anything about how to fix or solve. But the greatest miracle, Father, is when you allow us to become a little more like Jesus Christ and learn to trust you more moment by moment. 
That is a miracle. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit living within us. Father, thank you for your perfect plan of salvation. Take us, use us, help us in our journey one step at a time. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.